Good morning. My name is Ardellis Green. You can open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. We'll be at the verse 17 in just a moment. In our last series, <clears throat> Ray, a gardener, was working at Frank's house. <clears throat> Ray put out some beautiful flowers and, in a silver vase, and uh, Frank's son asked why. And he said that he wanted to give God his very best, the very best of his sheep, not his stinky, skinny sheep. And over time, Ray invites Frank to the soup kitchen. They, you know, we go down twice a month. So if you're interested in being with us at the soup kitchen, we'd love to take you down. Frank felt pretty awkward at first, but felt as if he could maybe write a check. But he steps into the ministry of the soup kitchen, getting connected with some of the people, you know, learning their names, hearing their stories. And by the end of the first series, Frank is underwriting repairs and the construction of the soup kitchen, hiring some people from within to work there. In this series, Ray is no longer a gardener working for Frank. He has his own nursery business and is hiring people from the soup kitchen to work at the nursery, you know, putting their talents to work. So at this series, the first one had to do with the banquet. And the first image to ponder is that of the banquet. In Frank's mind, the banquet is about inviting wealthy people to hear about the cause of the soup kitchen, serving up expensive food on exquisite dishes, hoping that the wealthy will give some donations to um, the soup kitchen. But Ray says to Frank the words of Jesus, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not merely invite your friends, don't only invite your brothers or your relatives, don't only invite your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and you're going to be repaid. But when you have a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, and the lame, and the poor, and you'll be blessed. The table in this series is a symbol of the kingdom of God. Eating together in unity amidst diversity is a sign of the kingdom because the table is a place where all are welcome, where all can sit, no matter if they're young or poor or rich or poor, or Republican, or Democrat, or white, or black, or straight, or gay. The place of the table is a place where we learn to listen to each other, and know each other's names, and begin to value each other. It's a place where we connect with each other and communicate. The table is a place where we feel accepted, and we belong. We're part of a community. In essence, at the table, we connect with each other, and we feast. So, Frank is standing at this table last time, and there was a sanitation worker there feeling pretty uncomfortable. And Frank wonders, what is the problem? And the man sees name tags, you know, the name tags in front of people's plates. And Frank understands the name tags create a barrier to sitting at the table together. So Frank begins, remember, tearing up the name tags. The torn name tags, they mean that the followers of Jesus Christ, you and I, are to reject social divisions and invite the poor and the lame and the blind into our homes and communities. A name tag to me is any barrier that prevents somebody from sitting down to the table and being together. Now, once Frank and Frank's wife, Cassie, are at the table, they meet Julie, who you saw again this time, and her blind fiancé. Julie has lost her apartment and had nowhere to stay. 
She had made decisions and not necessarily good decisions. And then she lost her apartment because the man who was offering her place the apartment, she had sold herself into slavery and she had no possessions. But Cassie has a heart for her and they're beginning to form this relationship. Cassie has stuff in her basement that can be sold. You see, the non-essentials in our life can be transformed into something very useful for the kingdom to bless somebody with. And perhaps the most non-essential of the non-essentials is that ridiculous watch winder that I'd never seen before. I just wonder if any of you have a watch winder around. Probably not. The watch winder represents the conspicuous consumption, the stuff that just clutters up our lives. As it was said, the things we own begin to own us. The things we possess begin to possess us. Can we think differently about our lives and our possessions? Can we step into relational generosity? You know, we, uh, we know pretty well transactional generosity. Transactional generosity would be that somebody who's poor needs something and we give a gift to them. For instance, they don't have a washer and dryer, and so we give them a washer and dryer. So we see a need and we give to somebody something that costs money and we give a transaction. But generosity 2.0 is a slightly higher form of generosity. Relational generosity is sharing your life, sharing yourself with the people God has placed in your life, being relationally generous to your spouse, or being relationally generous to your children, or being generous to a neighbor, or being generous to somebody with whom you work. You see, relational generosity has to do with people we have regular contact with, the people we live with, being generous to them, the people we work with, being generous to them, the people we go to school with, in first period with, in Algebra 2 with, being generous to them, the people we buy coffee with from or drink coffee with, the people that we buy our groceries from or watch games with. It has to do with the people we have regular contact with. I work in the same office with this individual and my heart feels their pain and I want to be relationally generous to them. So the question is, can we move from relationships that are transactional to relationships that are relationally generous, because our God is relationally generous. Matthew chapter 19, verse number 17. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. And if you want to enter in life, Obey the commandments. Which ones, the man said, inquired. And Jesus said, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And love your neighbor 
as yourself. All these I have kept, the man said. What do I still lack? So a man comes to Jesus in the midst of a crowded situation, people all around Jesus, and he has a burning question. The man is known as the rich, young ruler. He's rich. He's been blessed with much. The man has possessions. He's incredibly wealthy. He's young. He has his whole life in front of him to live. And he's a ruler. He has position and authority, perhaps a political ruler, but more likely a religious ruler. The man has success written all over him. You can see that this guy has risen and is rising to the top. I asked my son Jimmy last night, I said, Jimmy, in the military, how would you um, identify somebody who is rising within the ranks? Well, he said, Dad, they're physically fit, first of all, and then they have mental capacity. They have the ability to deal with, um, make good decisions under stress, and then get high ratings from their superiors. In the school system, we would see a student as having great potential and possibility. This person is a, a good student. You know, they apply themselves to their studies. They seem to have the ability to understand well. In athletics, we would see somebody who's the best athlete on the field, right? Somebody coming up through the high school, the college ranks, who plays well in the big games and elevates the plays of others. This man comes to the right person. He comes to Jesus. He comes with the right attitude. He comes urgently and humbly to Jesus. He comes with a felt need because something is missing in his life. There isn't to him a settled peace. There isn't an overflowing joy. There isn't a confident hope. There's a restlessness in his soul. There's a deep discontentment in his situation. There's an unfulfillment with his wealth and his power. In all of his accomplishments, all of his power and possessions and privilege, he senses that he lacks something. He has an elusive inner hunger to possess something he does not possess. He has all the possessions of earth, but he does not possess eternal life. And so he comes to Jesus, and he compliments Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? You see, here's a rich young ruler who has friends in high places. He has all that money can buy. He has the benefit of being young, but yet he doesn't have God in his life. At some point, you and I will feel restless and discontent. You know, money can buy health insurance, but money can't buy health. And money can be put into investments, but money can't buy peace. And money can buy a bed, but money can't buy you sleep. There's something missing there's something lacking. So he bolts up to Jesus and said, what must I do to get eternal life? His false belief is that he can do something to earn God's favor. 
that he can do some noble deed. Just tell me what to do. You've heard that before, right? Just tell me what to do. What do I need to do in order to have eternal life? Jesus answers his question, if you're looking, with a question. He says to him, what must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? There's only one who is good. But if you want to do something good in your life, obey the commandments. The rich young ruler believes that he's pretty good. He believes that Jesus is also good. But Jesus is good in the sense of being a good teacher. The the rich young ruler has been listening to some of his teaching, so he addresses him as good teacher. But before Jesus answers his question, he says, why do you ask me about what is good? For there is only one who is good. One of the attributes of God is that God is good. God himself is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Every good gift comes from the hand of God. God gives good gifts to his children. And God has given us gifts all week long into our hands. We used to teach our kids, you know, the Lord is good to me. And so I thank the Lord for giving me the things I need, the sun, the rain, and the apple seed, because the Lord is good to me. You know, you may be going through a trial right now, but you need to remind yourself that the Lord is good. And you may be feeling like something's being stripped away in your life, but the Lord is good. And you may be wondering if you're going to make it, but the Lord is good. And so he has this question about eternal life. What is this concept? What is this reality of eternal life? Jesus said it like this, this is eternal life that you may know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. The essence of eternal life is an unhindered, intimate experience with God. You know, heaven is heaven not only because of eternal pleasure, not only because of the absence of pain, but because of the presence of God. To be in heaven is to have the full experience, the full presence of a good and loving God. (laughs) But the rich young ruler believed that heaven is a prize afforded to us by our efforts. Heaven is a reward given to those good enough to earn it. So Jesus says to him, okay, if you want to enter into life, obey the commandments. Which ones? Like, there's a lot of commandments. So the rich young ruler is kind of wondering, you know, which of them are more important than the others, as if he could pick and choose. Well, Jesus pulls down from the second tablet of the law and says, do not murder. Wouldn't it be a better world if there wasn't murder? Respect human life. Human life is sacred. Do not commit adultery. Stay within the bounds of your marriage covenant. Marriage is sacred. Do not steal. Respect people's property. Do not give false testimony. Tell the truth. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you, that you may live long upon the earth, right? I used to tell my kids when they were kind of ornery, I said, do you want life to go well with you 
Or do you want life to be extremely hard right now for you? And love your neighbor as yourself. So what Jesus does, he puts the capstone on it all and says, the essence of what I just said to you is to love your neighbor as yourself. And the man says, all these commands I've kept since I was a little boy. Since my bar mitzvah, I've pretty much kept my nose clean. I've kept the commands of God. You see, there's two paths to eternal life here from this Scripture. One is to obey the entire law of God, not only the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law, from one's birth to one's death to gain eternal life. The problem with that plan is, <laughs> you can imagine the problem with that plan is, that none of us except Jesus Christ has kept the laws of God. You see, we are born into a condition called sin. Sin is our nature. In sin, my mother conceived me. So here's a guy who's believing that if he keeps all these commandments, he will receive eternal life as a reward. All these commands I've kept since I was a boy. And notice that Jesus looks at the young man and he loves him. I find this a very striking point of the text, <laughs> that Jesus doesn't just kind of smile and say, oh, you've tried to keep all the commands. He doesn't call him out to be a hypocrite. He doesn't call him to be a liar. He sees the sincerity of this young man's heart in his compliance with the external requirements of the law. Sure, in your mind, you haven't committed murder, but have you ever been so angry that you wanted to kill somebody? Let me ask you, you ever been so angry you want to kill somebody? You're a very pious group. <laughs> you ever want to murder somebody in your heart? You see, it seems like the outside of your cup looks so clean, but inside, it's a little dirty. Sure, you haven't committed adultery, right? You haven't crossed over that line, but have you ever desired somebody? You ever had an emotional connection to them? See, the outside of the cup looks pretty clean, but how about the inside of the cup? Sure, you haven't given false testimony. Have you ever fudged the truth? <laughs> you ever exaggerated to make the story better? You ever withheld telling the full truth? You ever minimized something to cover up? Sure, in your mind, you've honored your parents, but have you really thanked them for their sacrifices? Have you really applied all their wisdom into your life? Deep down in your heart, do you appreciate your parents? Sure, you, you love yourself. I get that part. You have a roof over your head, right? And clothes on your back and food on your table. But do you care that the poor have a roof over their head? Do you care that the poor have clothes on their back? Do you care that the poor have a food at their table? Do you really love your neighbor as yourself? You see, the law had its outward component, but it also had an inward dimension. It had an external, but also an internal component. And the man says to Jesus, what do I still lack? 
there is this chronic sense of emptiness, this profound sense of restlessness, this deep sense of discontent. Now, Jesus, the great physician, looks over the patient, and he gives the diagnosis, okay? And this is a very radical word. Now, Jesus is only going to say this word to one man, to this rich young ruler, and this is what Jesus said. I think we've got it for the screen now. Jesus turns to him and says, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be mature or complete, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. And what you find Cassie doing is going down to her basement and identifying possessions she doesn't need, possessions that can be best given to the soup kitchen. But Ray's going to turn her down and say, no, I, I'm going to respectfully de- de- turn down this donation because there's a higher use for these possessions. There is somebody in your presence to whom you can make this gift to that will make a huge difference in their life. Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. The prescription that Jesus gives to this man is to get up from kneeling before me and liquidate your holdings, give the selling price to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. That once you slay the dragon, once you butcher the idol, then you'll be able to follow me. You see, the essence of eternal life is trusting Jesus, following Jesus, realizing I am not my own. My possessions are not my own. I am a steward of this life. I am a steward of what God has entrusted to me. The essence of eternal life is knowing and loving God. And it doesn't begin the day you die. It begins the moment you begin following Jesus. Jesus is bringing this man face to face with the issues of his heart. Outwardly, he was a good person, but he believed that eternal life was something that could be attained by being good enough. And Jesus says, go sell all you have and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. And those who have made this surrender would say to the man, lay it down. Lay down your life. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Lay down your life and follow Jesus. Now, the man went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Would you be sorrowful if you had as much as he had? If you won a million dollars on the wall, would you go away sorrowful? No, you go away rejoicing. But this man was sorrowful. Why? Because it's impossible for us to serve two masters. Jesus pierced the heart of this young man and spoke the deep things of the Spirit to him and showed him that he served another God. And until he renounced his other God, 
He could not follow the true and living God. And the moment he laid down what he had, God would bless him with more than he could ever imagine. When my kids were very little, my wife Debbie and I would go out to dinner. And this place we went to had these nice little uh, mints. And so as I left the restaurant, I kind of load my pocket up with mints. You do the same, right? So I, or your, your coat pocket, you know, I got my bulging pockets and I walk out of this restaurant. They seem free, you know, available, but I had a purpose in mind. And so I come home to my uh, children. That time was Chris and Betsy, little guys. And I say, Chris, I've got a treat for you. And he said, what is it, dad? It's, it's, a, it's these two little chocolate mints. And I said, you have choices, Chris. Either you can consume both of them and they're yours, or you can share them with your sister. You can have one for yourself and one for your sister. But in the event that you give all to your sister, you're going to be blessed beyond measure. And so Chris would sit with his little mints and study the situation. I'd like to have both of these mints, but if I eat one, there's a blessing. But if I give both away, there's a huge blessing. And once in a while, Chris would give both. He'd say, here, Betsy, here, take these mints. And I would take my pocket and shower him from heaven with mints. So many that he could not contain them all. Kind of like a Halloween experience. You see, the preoccupation of the wealthy is not to have a roof over your head. The preoccupation of the wealthy is, (laughs) what kind of decor do we have in our house? The preoccupation of the wealthy is not, will we have dinner tonight? The the preoccupation of the wealthy is, what are we having for dinner tonight? The preoccupation of the wealthy is not, will I have clothes on my back? It's rather, what kind of style clothes will I wear? We have become wealthy materialists concerned about ourselves. the secondary issues. The primary issue is, does someone have a roof over their head? Does someone have food at the table? Are they invited to the table? Do they have clothes on their back? And so Jesus knew that the life that's truly life is a generous life. And to follow God means to enter into that generosity. So the man went away sad, and Jesus said, I tell you, it's hard. This is one of Jesus' hard sayings. It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. To enter the kingdom of God requires humility. The question is, is he only speaking to one man in one situation? Because Jesus only said this to one person. Or is this a word to all of us to renounce our idols, to not be possessed by our possessions, to become truly generous, and to give ourselves and our stuff to others? It's going to require for us to lay down our lives and to follow Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, there's a great work that you want to do in each one of our lives. 
There's things you're calling us to lay aside that encumber us, that hinder us. Perhaps it's our comfort, our convenience. Maybe it's the death grip we hold upon our possessions. Maybe the things we own own us. Maybe we stop feeling compassion for the poor. We've stopped seeing them. We just pass them by and ignore them. There's poor people, God, in our own houses. There's poor neighbors that are all around us. There's people that we live, that we work beside, that, God, you want to give to us a burden for, a compassion toward. You want us to extend ourselves to them. You want us to invite people to the table. But first of all, God, you want to invite us to the table to come and follow you. So here, God, in the quietness of this place, God, we surrender our lives. We say, Jesus, my life is your life. Come into my life. Fill me with fullness in my life. Displace the emptiness of my life and fill me with the fullest measure of your presence, of your love. Would you fill me, God, to the fullest extent with your love? And give me your heart and your eyes toward the poor. Help me, Lord, to be generous like you have been generous. God, show us our assignment. Show us where you want us to work. God, help us to follow you and trust you, we pray in Jesus' name.